0: like to invite you to join me um, in turning to Psalm 19 in God's word, whether you have that electronically or physically. It's a privilege to be filling in for a Demi this morning, although I wish it would be under different circumstances. Um, so if you would join me this morning, uh, the word of the Lord says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber Rejoicing the heart, the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Your glory is proclaimed in the heavens, in your word, and in our redemption and restoration to you. Lord, as we come out of this season of Christmas and we get ready to face a new year. I thank you for your son. I thank you for sending him to this earth. I thank you for the life that he lived and the death that he died on our behalf. And Lord, I thank you that he did not stay dead, but that he rose from the dead on the third day and he sits at your right hand and is our mediator. Lord, I pray um for Pastor Demi this morning, I pray for Caitlin, I pray for the girls. Lord, I pray that you would bring about healing in that situation, and Lord, that you would restore them again to our um, to our body, Lord, because we miss them. Lord, I thank you um, for, this new, for this new year that's coming, Lord. I thank you for this past year, for all of the ways that you have provided for us, for all the ways that you've led us, for all of the ways um, that you have grown us to look more like Christ. Lord, I pray for this new year that's coming and I pray uh, for your grace and mercy. I pray for, um, I pray for just a trust in your sovereignty because you, you hold this world in your hands. You hold all the universe together you're the one who appoints kings, you're the one who tears down empires, and you hold us secure until the end. Um, so Lord, as we face a new year and a new decade, we look to you because you are our sovereign king, and we trust that all things will work to the good of those who, whom you love and whom you've chosen as your children. Lord, I pray uh, for the preaching of your word this morning. Uh, I pray for um, I pray for the power of your spirit to come upon me as I proclaim this word, Lord. I do not feel worthy this morning, and that is how we should feel when we come to your house to worship you, because we're not worthy of our own volition of our own standards or the way that we live but you have made us worthy and so father i just ask that your spirit would um, empower me this morning to preach boldly and to preach effectively and clearly and lord i just pray that your glory would shine through the preaching of your word this morning and that it would shine through us as we go out into our community and that your name would be made great this morning Show us Christ in the word, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. During my freshman year of college, my parents decided to take us on a trip to Colorado. Um, This was over a two-week period, and um, after we had spent about a week in Colorado, we went to meet up with my grandparents in Utah. Now, if any of you are familiar with um, Arches, that was where we spent a majority of our time. But before we went there, uh, my grandfather and my uncle decided to take me and my brothers on a camping trip to Dinosaur National Monument. Now, this park, it's, uh, it extends from within Colorado to over the Utah border. And so um, when we finally found our camping spot, we were actually on the Utah side of um, the park. As the sun was setting that day, my grandfather suggested that we should go on a hike. Um, some of us were a little nervous at first because this hike actually turned out to be going straight up the side of a sheer cliff. And me being afraid of heights, that wasn't my idea of fun, but it was beautiful there, and so I was uh, ecstatic about going to see more and more sights. Um, as we were going up um, the side of this cliff, the sights were already beautiful. Like the sheer rock faces were turning to a beautiful red as the sun was setting um, on the other side of this valley, and but I was not prepared for the sight that I was going to see when we came to the top of this cliff. When we came over the rise, this valley opened before us. Where we decided to camp out was n- near Steamboat Rock, and so I think it was the Colorado River was car had carved out this small canyon, and as we came over the rise, the sun hit the rock faces of the canyon just right, and it ignited it with a beautiful reds and the blues of the sky, and I couldn't help but just look at it all and say, praise the Lord. There are many sights in this life that you can see, whether it be the sun setting at night or the Grand Canyon, if you've actually been there, or a clear uh, night sky full of stars. They all proclaim God's glory. As you will see in our text today, God is the maker of of the heavens and the earth, and it glorifies him in its mere existence. The purple mountain majesties and amber waves of grain all proclaim the glory of God. From this psalm, we learn that God will receive glory regardless of our participation. The purpose of the book of Psalms is to instruct God's people in how to experience an abundant life for which God has created and redeemed them. One theologian writes, Psalm 19 celebrates the glory of God in creation and in the Torah. Perhaps, this is, perhaps there is the suggestion that the glory of God in heaven will reach the earth when the Torah is kept, which harkens back to the message of Psalm 1. With both of these truths in mind, I think the thrust of the Psalms can be summed up in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In Psalm 19, we see the abundant life or existence of doing all for the glory of God on display in creation. We see it in his word. And we see it in our redemption and subsequent obedience. I invite you now to read with me, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. First, we see the glory of God in creation, In verses 1 through 4, God's glory and nature are proclaimed in the created order. The heavens and the skies serve as heralds of the glory of, of the master craftsman. They reveal that our God does in fact exist and that his goodness, wisdom, power, and sincerity and providence bring about each new day and night. God is the sovereign ruler of this universe, and he upholds every atom and molecule of creation's existence by the power of his word, according to Hebrews 1.3. This creation was made through Jesus, the word, and without him, not anything w- was made that was made. John 1.3. God, on the second day of creation, separated the waters and the sky in Genesis 1.6-8. And on the fourth day, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let there be signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanses of the heavens to give light upon the earth. Creation is so vast and encompassing. David only mentions the heavens and the skies here in verse one. And these would be enough for the heavenly sermon on God's glory and nature. Verses two through four speak of this wordless sermon that the skies pour forth endlessly. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. When looking at these verses, I can't help but think about such an appropriate example that David gives. There is nowhere on the face of the earth that you can escape the sky, except perhaps if you lived in a cave or underground. Even if you were in a city and the lights of the city made it impossible to see the stars, you will still see the wide and expansive darkness and the moon. Everyone can see the colorful sunsets and sunrises, and you can't escape from the sky except possibly, like I said, living underground. Mountains may not always be present, and you may live in a landlocked state where you can't see the sea. But there is one thing for sure, that you will be able to behold the beautiful sermon that is proclaimed by the glory of God's handiwork in the skies. And if that wasn't enough, David looks at the most blatantly obvious and unmistakable sign of God's handiwork. The sun, beginning at the end of verse 4. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. What an incredible description. Like I said, everyone sees and knows the sun, and you can't escape from its light during the day. That's why some of you late sleepers, like myself, who are not morning people, prefer to have those curtains that block out the sun. I think you know what I'm talking about, those blackout curtains that you can get at Kohl's or anywhere else. Um, And... Especially, and sometimes you can't even escape that because you may have that spouse or that parent or that sibling who is a morning person who just loves to come in there, throw the curtains open and open your door and say, good morning. And you just make this face like this and roll over and maybe not even make a face. Like when I was in high school, I used to make like this sound that was like a mix between a vampire's hiss and a zombie's growl. And my dad still came in and, you know, woke me up like that. But the truth is, we honestly need the sun. And we can take a couple lessons, even from this boiling gas and the way that it goes about if its everyday life. David says that the sun is like a strong man that runs its course with joy. And its rising is from the end of the heaven and every part of the earth sees it. <laughs> Think about this. The sun has the most boring and predictable job in the universe. It rises each day and it sets. And if you live here in New England, it's only up for maybe a couple hours and then it sets. Um, I'm from Kentucky originally, and so I'm used to it setting maybe an hour later. Um, But also think about the fact that, like scientifically, the sun just sits at the center of our solar system. It just sits there does its deeds, and it does its work with joy. <laughs> and this is an inanimate object that we would think wouldn't have emotions, but that's how David describes it. And this should be an example for us. And think about the blessing that the sun is. We would be lost without its light. It gives us heat, and it keeps our planet right where God designed it to be. We would starve and freeze to death, or float off hopelessly into space and darkness the sun or er, the sun is the star of this heavenly show but yet its whole existence preaches the glory of god and its maker if this is the case and everyone can see the sun then why do so few know this truth the apostle paul gives us the exact reason in romans 1 in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Every human being will be condemned ultimately because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But you might ask, what about those who are mistaken in their thinking? Paul answers that as well in the following verses. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. They have worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Even the stars in the heavens are not exempt from worship. Greeks, Greeks worshipped the sun as the god Apollo. And Jeremiah 19.13 describes the sin of God's people and why he was bringing judgment upon Jerusalem the houses of jerusalem and the houses of the kings of judah all the houses on whose roofs have been offered to all the hosts of heaven and to and the drink offerings that have been poured out to other gods shall be defiled like the place of topheth even god's own people were not separate from the rest of creation in this truth suppression we need someone to show us the way And this is where the glorious truth of verse 7 comes in. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Secondly, we see in these verses that the glory of God is proclaimed in his word. With the skies above and their speechless sermon, it's almost like David is building to the ultimate gift of God to man, the actual word of God. In a world of competing truth claims and religions and philosophies, I find verses 7 through 9 refreshing and peace-giving let's take a look at the adjectives that David uses in this in these verses the first word that David uses to define God's law is perfect this means that God's word is excellent or complete beyond practical or theoretical improvement David um, David says that it is reviving to the soul I think I immediately think of Psalm 23 when he says this. In verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 4 through 7 writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness in, in Christ towards us. We need the Bible to give us this knowledge. We need it in order to be revived. We are dead, and David shows us that God is the one who can revive us by his word. God's word is sure. We cannot doubt God's testimony. God has proven himself over and over through his scriptures and in our lives. It makes me think of the old hymn, that says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon the promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more." May this be the prayer of our hearts as we trust in the surety of God's word. God all, er, David also describes God's word as right, This means that it is in accordance with what is good, proper, or just. David describes it as rejoicing to the heart. We should receive joy as we read it, dwell on it, and conform to it. It is pure. It is not contaminated by our sin, and it is without spot or blemish. It enlightens our eyes to bring us the knowledge where there was formerly ignorance. Then we get to verse nine, where it describes the fear of the Lord. Now, the Proverbs describes the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And I think it's safe to assume that this is a byproduct of reading God's word. And it, and David even describes the fear of the Lord as enduring. That And this comes all from reading God's word. With our eyes open to where we were formerly knew nothing, we can now honor God and love him as we ought and no longer be in the the business of truth suppression like the rest of creation. David moves on to describe God's law as good as true and righteous altogether. There is no deception or lie or wickedness or sin in this law. In verses 10 through 11, we see the value of God's word. More to be desired are God's words than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. God's word is more valuable than all the riches of this world. And it's sweeter than all the pleasures that we, can ever, um, that we can ever partake in as we live this life. So how should we respond to this truth? Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, with you making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is what our lives should be characterized by, this thirst and this pursuit of God's word. In verse 11, we see the benefits of God's word. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. We are warned about the coming destruction because of our sin, by God's word. The word teaches us humility, and the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord, so we may turn from our wicked ways in repentance. By the word of God, we see what we must do to be saved. And this leads us to the final verses of our text, and the final Way that we see God's glory proclaimed here on the earth. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from the faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Thirdly, we see the glory of God and redemption here in these verses. David begins this. This part of the passage with a question that says, who can discern his errors? The answer to this rhetorical question is no one. We have all been blinded to our faults by our sin. We need the word of God to discern our evil hearts, intentions, and desires. Hebrews 4, 12-13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning all the intentions and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is why the word of God is so precious to us as the people of God, and as sinners in need of wisdom and direction. We also need God to declare us, um, to declare us righteous from our hidden faults. Verses, verse 13 of Hebrews 4 says that no creature is hidden from his sight. God can see all things, everything that we do, say, and think, or the way that we think about others, or the way that we look at other people. God sees all those things. And he even sees those moments when we think that no one else will ever know, or those thoughts or the things that we write down or do in private that we don't think anybody else will ever know. As unbelievers, God sees all, the thing, sees all things because he's omnipresent and everywhere at the same time. As believers, God is living inside of us by his Spirit. And verse 13 says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So what do we do about our situation? The truth is there's nothing. We cannot do anything on our own to live up to the standard of righteousness laid out in God's word. Verse 13 describes presumptuous sins. Now, presumptuous means to fail to understand limits. Some some synonyms of the word are brazen, overconfident, and even arrogant. 13 also describes being dominated by our sins. It's a scary thought to think that you and I could live an entire life where we have no control over our own actions and thoughts. But that's exactly the life that we have apart from God. Romans 5:12 to 14 describes how Adam our Father, the first man, sinned and ushered in this death. This death was both physical and spiritual for every human being on the face of the earth. Ephesians 2, 1-3 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience or those who are apart from Christ. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and our minds, and were by nature children of wrath. This is the fate of all mankind solution how do we get out how are we freed from the dominion of presumptuous sins if you look at verse 12 verses 12 13 again with me we can look at it with a different perspective or take a second look at it who can discern his errors declare me innocent from hidden faults keep back your presumptuous sins or keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me and then i shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Do you notice the way that David is speaking in this psalm? The way that the verbs are describing these actions, they're not from his. They're not from his perspective. They're almost as a command or a as a request to God, because David notices and realizes the true um, trouble of his predicament. That we need someone else to save us. We need someone to come and take away our sin. And the psalm answers that. It's through Jesus, through God, through the way that he acts towards us. So how can we become blameless? It's by the word who became flesh that John 1-14 through says. Because He came and he dwelt among us, and no one took his life from him, but he laid it down willingly and went to the cross to make purification for our sins. Jesus, however, did not stay dead, rising from the dead on the third day. After his death and burial, he is now exalted above all others, and he is our mediator, pleading before God the Father on our behalf with his righteousness that he gave to us. And this isn't because of anything that we've done. Because if you remember back when I just talked about Ephesians 2, 1-3, Ephesians 2, 1-3 described us as dead people. dead are like zombies wandering through life and have no relation in own because of sin. And we're, headed, we're all headed towards a destiny. We couldn't save ourselves even if we wanted to. It's all Jesus. And how do we receive that knowledge of God's way of salvation? How do we know about this? By the spirit intervening into our dead hearts, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might see his word and read it and rejoice with Peter, for we have found the words of eternal life and have come to believe them and to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus as he truly is. We can see the glories of God now proclaimed in the skies and in his word. And we can see how the scriptures show us the way of life that comes with knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are made blameless and innocent, but what do we do now? Verse 14 is David's valuable prayer to us as children of Yahweh. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. As those who are born again to new life, we can live a life where every fiber of our being is acceptable to God. David acknowledges again that God knows every part of man because he includes the meditation of our hearts in his prayer. So what does this mean for us? How does this apply to our daily lives? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to look to the heavens and give praise to the one who is their maker and ours. The skies, the moon, the stars, the sun, pour forth endless praise, and we should join them. Every time you see the beauty of creation, take a moment and thank God for the wonderful gift of his creation and just just relax and just think about the wonderful gifts that God has given us in his creation. For for both the believer and the one who is lost in darkness still, look to God's word, for it is your source of life. In this wonderful book, we find the way to Christ and the way that we can truly live as humans were first created to live. Find your fullest and truest joy in the hearing and reading and meditation of God's word. For these are the words of your heavenly Father who formed you and chose you before the foundation of the world to be adopted as his beloved child. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is your calling here in these verses, in verse 14, to that now that you are born again, you and I cannot pass through this life living how we want because we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We must bring every part of our lives into submission with his will. Our lives are not our own anymore, for we were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 tells us that much. And for those who don't know Jesus in this way, I encourage you to look to Yahweh, who is life-giver and is our rock and our redeemer. The imagery of God as a rock goes back to the Old Testament and to the ancient times when Israel referred to him as their rock, who steadies the bow of Joseph in the face of opposition. But beware, for you may become like the people of Israel who rejected their Savior and the rock. Run to Jesus. Throw yourself upon the rock, who will be a firm foundation in the storms of life and in the ever-changing seas of our circumstances. Call out to the Redeemer, who has brought you back from the dominion of sin and death and (laughs) Satan. The prophet Joel writes the simple promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on the name of Jesus, who is the solid rock, for all the ground is sinking sand. And you, too, may join the song of the heavens and of the people of God. I invite you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come before you now and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word proclaimed by your creation. We thank you for your redemption of our souls. Lord, I pray for those in this room who may not know you, Lord, and I just ask that you would draw them to you, that you would save them today, Lord, and that they would find their true purpose in you and in your son. Father, I just ask that you would be with us as we praise you in this next couple moments, Lord, and that we would see your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.